Gracious God and Father, may the words of my mouth and the thoughts of our hearts be acceptable in your sight through Jesus Christ, our Savior and Lord. Amen. Well, the gospel reading for today uh, is unique. Uh, it's different from all the other readings that we cover uh, in our three-year cycle of lectionary readings. It's, it's a very unique gospel reading. And does anyone know what is different about this particular lesson? Anything jump out at you as being odd, strange, out of the ordinary? Well, in, in most gospel readings, virtually all of them, Jesus is the main character, okay? He's the one doing the verbs, right? He's the focus and the center of the action, but not in this lesson. And this lesson is really not explicitly about Jesus, even though he's mentioned in the opening uh, verse, but it is implicitly about Jesus. And, and here's how. First of all, the death of John foreshadows the death of our Lord Jesus, okay? What happens to John is going to happen to Jesus on a cross to be sure, not by beheading, but this is the fate of prophets. And Jesus is no different. Of course, you and I know he's more than a prophet, but he's gonna meet the same fate. So John, what happens to him foreshadows what's going to happen to our Lord. And also this, Jesus's death but John's death, I should say, John's death reveals why Jesus had to die. Because John's death points to a problem that is common to all of us. And that's Roman numeral one in the sermon outline on the back of your bulletin. I just call it our problem, okay? And you go all the way back to Genesis chapter three. This is point A. As a result of sin, the eyes of Adam and Eve were open. Their eyes were open. Now, what does that mean? Their eyes were open. Well, the, the very next phrase, and they saw that they were naked. They saw that they were naked. The opening of the eyes means that they had become self-conscious. And this was something totally new. They see themselves now in a very different way than previously. They had become self-conscious. They had become insecure. And point B, the definition now of self-consciousness is simply this. It is a preoccupation with oneself. With oneself. And, um, you know, this, this reflects what what Luther taught, that sin is a turning inward on oneself. It is a focus on self, after all. And, that, and that's, true of, that's true of every kind of sinful behavior you can imagine. It's all about me, myself, and I. Love always looks outward, right? You know, love is not self-seeking, according to St. Paul in 1 Corinthians 13. 
but sin is always looking inward. And so this becomes the new question now of humanity. This is the question Adam and Eve are plagued with. This is a question all of us struggle with every day. How do others see me? How does God see me? How do I fit in? How do I become acceptable? Now, this is what the Bible's all about. This is what our faith is all about. Justification. How, how can I be right before God and others? Number one, point B1, Adam and Eve attempt to justify themselves. And they justify themselves by throwing someone else under the bus. See, that, that's, how you, that's how you justify yourself. That, that's how you explain your innocence, uh, supposedly, right? Your supposed innocence. You know, the woman you gave me, she gave to me of the tree and I ate. And then the woman throws the snake under the bus. And we don't mind the snake being thrown under the bus. But still, it's the idea that I'm going to cover my own insecurity by pointing the finger elsewhere. You see, that's, that's a me reference. And then point two, Herod Antipas. This is not Herod the Great, who was after Jesus, trying to kill Jesus um, in Matthew 2. This is his son, Herod Antipas, uh, really another near-do-well. And he would soon be deposed by the Emperor Caligula, but that's a few years down the road. Herod Antipas is self-conscious. In our Gospel lesson for today, Herod Antipas is very insecure. Notice verse 21. But an opportunity came. Now, what's the opportunity? The opportunity is for the wife of Herod Antipas, Herodias, the opportunity for her to finally kill John. She wants to get her hands around his neck, but she's not had the opportunity, but now the opportunity presents itself. This is exactly what's going to happen later to Jesus. At an opportune time, the devil's going to put into the heart of Judas Iscariot to betray him, see, at an opportune time. But an opportunity came when Herod, on his birthday, uh, the Greeks and the Romans celebrated birthdays, the Hebrews did not, gave a banquet for, now this is important, for his nobles and military commanders and the leading men of Galilee. These are people whom Herod needs. He needs their support. You see, he's always being watched by Rome. And if he can't keep order, if he can't rule this crowd, he's out. So he needs the support of these men. And this was a male-only banquet. This is what they did. They, uh, it was not decent for a woman to be there. You were suspect morally if you were there. Um, so th these are the men, the most important men that he knows. And he's got to please them. And if he cannot keep his word to his own stepdaughter, that's Salome who's doing the dance, if he cannot keep his word to her, what are the nobles going to think? What are the military commanders going to think? Well, he's not trustworthy. 
Why should we invest our confidence in him? We don't know how long he's going to be around. See, he needs them. He needs to look good to them. He needs to look reliable to them. He's concerned about how he appears to them, you see. And therefore, he's got to keep this rash vow that he's made. He's got to throw John under the bus. His reputation depends on it. So that's the problem. That's the stressor he's confronting. It's a problem of his own making, as many of our problems are. So Roman numeral number two, I'm borrowing a term here from psychology. I'm not a psychologist. I'm barely a theologian, but I do read, okay? And so we're going to learn what a coping mechanism is. Uh, point number two, Roman numeral two, a coping mechanism is an action or a belief. It's an action or a belief that helps you deal with or cope with a, a stressful situation or traumatic situation. I received a phone call on uh, Friday. Yeah, I think it was Friday. Uh, it seems like a long time ago now. <laughs> and, uh, but it was an EMT. And he said, I'm here with your wife. And he said, um, she's losing consciousness. And she's got her head down. She cannot raise her head. This is not a good sign. I said, where are you at? He said, well, we're at a therapy place. She was getting some therapy for her arm. And she was blacking out. She didn't totally black out. But the EMT said, we she, she's not responsive. She cannot raise her head up. He said, that's not a good sign. He said, we're headed to the hospital. So I'm driving to the hospital, and I'm thinking, all, all kinds of things go through your mind at a, a moment like that. And I finally thought, God, she is in your hands. She always has been, and she is even now. And that's the best place to be. Now, that didn't make the problem go away, but enabled me to cope with the stress that this is out of my hands, and it's in yours, Lord. Well, it turned out the reason why she couldn't, she wouldn't raise her head. It wasn't that she couldn't. She was near fainting. And she had to keep her head down. And so they're asking her to raise her head. She's not going to do it. <laughs> and they thought, oh, she's not able to respond. It it's scared the spit out of me. I mean, <laughs> you know, something like that. But anyway, how do you cope? You look up. You see, you remember the Lord. You remember his providential care. And, and there's all kinds of coping mechanisms, you know. Uh, there's exercise, right? There's massage therapy. Uh, there's uh, prayer. There's just talking it out with someone. Uh, all of these are, are kind of secular coping mechanisms, except for prayer. But point A, under Roman numeral two, self-consciousness is overcome by God-consciousness. Self-consciousness is overcome by God-consciousness. 
And by God consciousness, we, we've got to be very specific, not God in a generic sense, whoever you imagine him to be. No, it's God as he has revealed himself through Jesus Christ. The God who condemns us in the law, but who redeems us and saves us and forgives us and justifies us in the gospel. That's the God we worship. That's the God who reveals himself in Holy Scripture. That's the God we look to in time of trouble. He's the only God. God as he's revealed himself in Christ. So God consciousness eclipses the self-consciousness that's always there within us. It's simply being mindful of God, being aware of him, looking outward rather than inward. You know, we've said many times, the more you look inward, the more you're going to doubt your salvation because if you're honest with yourself and you really hear the word of the law, you know how much you fail. And you don't look like a Christian. You don't act like a Christian. Should. But the more you look outward to Jesus, the more you see what he has already done for you, then your confidence comes back that you have a home in heaven, that you are indeed a child of God, simultaneously saint and sinner. That's how we cope. The definition of God consciousness is simply this, a preoccupation with God and his word. Remembering it. Of course, to remember it, you've got to read it. You've got to hear it proclaimed. It's a preoccupation with God and his word, or, or more specifically, it's a preoccupation with Jesus and his promises. B1, God consciousness before the fall, that's all there was, was consciousness of God. He had created man in his own image, and he had given mankind dominion over the birds of the air, the fish of the sea, and all the cattle. And he had blessed them and said, be fruitful and multiply. You see, God is giving everything that we need. He fills our consciousness, our, our mindfulness. And then he put the man in Genesis 2 in the garden to tend it and keep it. He gave us our vocation to take care of the world in which we've been placed. And then he gave this expansive permission. He said, from any tree of the garden you may eat. And then there's a very limited prohibition. But from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day you eat of it you'll surely die. Expansive permission, very limited prohibition. And so God filled our minds. Now, there needs to be another point in here, point one and a half. It's not there, but just imagine it. Okay, point one and a half. There, there's really little else but self-consciousness after the fall. Self-consciousness after the fall. That's pretty much that inward look. How do I look to others? How do I look to God? Who can I throw under the bus so I look better? That follows the fall. And then point number two, because God reveals himself, he, he revealed himself to Abraham, who would be the father of many nations. He revealed himself to Moses, giving the righteous law of God, revealing the law of God to mankind. And then preeminently, he reveals himself in the person of Jesus Christ as the loving, forgiving, merciful God that he is. 
because of this self-revelation of the gracious and merciful God. Point number two, God consciousness is a reality after the fall. Once again, it's a reality after the fall. And that God consciousness enables us to cope with the stressors we confront. Romans chapter 8, there's now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. You see, judgment, the judgment of others, including that of God, is what preoccupies us. How can we escape it? How can we escape the blame? But there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ. And who will bring any charge against God's elect? God is the one who justifies. You see, being mindful of who God is and what he's done enables us to be conscious of God rather than ourselves. And then 1 Peter 2.19, Peter writes, For it's commendable for a man to bear up under unjust suffering because he is conscious of God. Because he's mindful of God, we bear up under suffering. That's point B, is suffering. Point A is condemnation. Point C is death. Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. It's all wrapped up in me. He who believes in me will live even though he dies. And whoever lives and believes in me will never die. That's his promise. That's what we cling to. You see, these are the beliefs that enable us to cope with the traumas of life. They're not actions on our part. They are beliefs that we hold. Point D, bearing grudges. Ephesians 4.32, St. Paul says that we forgive one another as we have been forgiven by God in Christ. If you have trouble forgiving, if you're bearing a grudge, it's because you've forgotten how much you have failed and how much God has forgiven you. When that is in your mind, when you're aware of that truth, that good news, then you can forgive your neighbor. And only then. Point E, uncertainty regarding God's will. I, I hear people say, well, you know, I'm not sure what I should do. I, you know, I don't know what God's will is for my life. Or at this point in my life, I'm not sure how to move forward. Well, that's understandable. But what does St. Paul say? This is in Romans 12. I beseech you, brothers, by the mercies of God, that's the gospel, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your acceptable worship. Do not be conformed any longer to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. This is what the gospel does. The awareness of God, being mindful of God, transforms us. And then Paul writes this, and then you will know God's perfect will, his holy and pleasing will. Being mindful of what he's done and who he is directs you every day so that you move to the right if you need to, if that's God's will, or you move to the left, whatever it may be. It comes from being aware of the Lord. And then point F, burnout or exhaustion. Jesus said, come to me, all you who are weary and heavily laden, I will give you rest. Or point G, worry. 
St. Paul writes, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your request to God. Go through that process. Lay it out before him. Tell him what's been burdening you. And we have this promise. And the peace of God, which passes all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds through Christ Jesus. So here's the deal. Before the fall, there's only God consciousness, God awareness, no self-consciousness plaguing us. After the fall, pretty much only self-consciousness, looking inward, not outward. But with the coming of Christ, God reveals himself as the one who is loving, who is forgiving, and who is merciful toward those who do not deserve it, and that would be all of us. And that changes us. It transforms us. And it makes us mindful of God once more. And when you look at John the Baptist, you look at the apostles, the early Christian martyrs, the Virgin Mary, Luther, all of these individuals endured shame, they endured suffering, and even death. They could do so because they were mindful of God, not themselves. Now, being mindful of the Lord will not prevent every problem. I'm convinced it will prevent some, but it won't prevent every problem. You may get that phone call, an emergency situation, a loved one perhaps in danger. Being mindful of the Lord will not prevent every problem, but it will enable you to handle every problem in a manner pleasing to God and in a way that's good for those around you. In Jesus' name. And now, to the God who creates faith in our hearts and who makes us mindful of him, be glory, power, and dominion now and always. Amen.